Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I want to talk to you this morning about the call of Gideon. The call of Gideon. The Bible says in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midians for seven years. This was called the fourth apostasy, the fourth time in Israel's history that once again they had turned from God and they did evil in sight of the Lord and they were delivered into the hands of an enemy people. It says in verse 2, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves dens, Uh, the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. And so it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up also, Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them, and they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. And they'd leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor axe, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. You can be seated this morning. I need to speak plainly and directly and honestly with you this morning. And under the guide of my presbyter, I want to share something with you. It's no secret among many of you that during the course of this transition process, we've seen people leave abundant life. Our guide through the transition process, Brother Soto once referred to it as divine subtraction. It's just a process that every pastor goes through when he transitions from a founding pastor or from another pastor. It's just going to be part of the equation. For whatever reason, for whatever circumstances, there will be people that choose to move on. I grew up at Elam Tabernacle in Milwaukee on Greenfield Avenue. My pastor was Pastor Manuel Rogers. We started going to Elam Tabernacle when I was 13 years old. I left Elam Tabernacle when I was 29. I never could shake the shackle of being that goofy kid that came in from nowhere with the mother who brought in her alcoholic husband who caused a lot of ruckus and a lot of trouble. And eventually they divorced, and, and here was I. And that was just something I couldn't shake. And so God worked, began to work on me and my wife. And there was a place he began to speak to me. And as I was actually working out in this area, God spoke to me and literally directed me to call this church office. I knew Brother Kylie very well. Sister Rons is the lady who brought us into church, the secretary that was here for many years. Cheryl answered the phone. And I said, Sister Cheryl, when are your services on Sunday? God wants us to be there. And the rest is history. And so through Brother Kylie and Brother Rogers, I did the best I could and made the transition and came here in 1999. I know what transition is like. I know what 
that feeling is like that perhaps there's something new, a new place for me to go. And so we've experienced some of that. Now, unfortunately, in some areas, it's just unavoidable. Negative things will come out of that. And positive things will come out as well. I would caution you that the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, says that the man who gets to tell his story first is assumed to be right until his neighbor comes and set the record straight. Be careful what you believe on my behalf and on the behalf of anyone else. And just know that God's hand is in the process. And people are where they need to be. And we are where we need to be. Amen? Israel was in a place where once again they had turned from God completely. They constantly fell. They constantly fell. This was the fourth apostasy, I think, of nine. Brother Frazier would probably tell me how many if that number's not correct. Our resident Bible scholar. And they were turned over to the hand of the Midianites. Now, Midianites were descendants of Abraham. If you remember, Abraham had a wife after Sarah died. Her name was Keturah. And Midian was one of Abraham's sons. But long before this process, Midian's family, his descendants, turned from God and went their ways and actually hated Israel. But they were prosperous and they grew in numbers. There was, there was tens of thousands of Midianites beyond the numbers of Israel. And so... Israel is in the hand of the Midianites, and what's happening in this passage that I read to you is that it's so bad, the the, the failure of Israel, the the sin that had come into Israel caused them, they couldn't even live like real people anymore. So much was taken of them, they were living like animals in caves. The sin had worked on them so hard, it had taken them over so hard that they were living in caves and in dwellings in the mountains. How many of us have experienced that time in their lives when we knew that sin, the result of the sin and the reaping of our sin caused us to crawl into that cave and live like something we weren't supposed to live like. I can say I was there. I've been there. And so here they are, the Midianites constantly coming, the Israelites toiling, toiling, and working hard. How many have been there in that place where you say to yourself, it just seems like we just keep working harder and harder, but we never have anything. We never get anywhere. The Israelites would toil and toil in the ground and grow their crops, and here would come the Midianites. Reminds me of the classic tale of the ants and the grasshoppers, right? The ants would do all the work, and the grasshoppers would come and snatch everything away, and they were starving, and they were suffering. And they got to that place where they finally said, okay, we get it. We've paid, we're paying dearly for turning away from God. And they began to call on God. And it says in Judges chapter 6, in response to Israel's cry to the Lord, that he sends them a prophet. It says, and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent the prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus says the Lord of God of Israel, I brought you from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. Remember in scripture, you've heard me say this before, that where Egypt is brought up in these circumstances, it represents sin. I brought you from sin. I delivered you out of that situation. I've delivered you from that life. But you went back. It says, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove you out before you and gave you their land. 
In other words, what God is saying is, what more could I possibly have done for you? I've brought you from the land of Egypt. I've delivered you out of the hand of bondage. You're no longer slaves to them. You're no longer oppressed by them. And I've actually given you their land as well. You understand that land in this time in scripture represents great wealth. I have blessed you mightily. And also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. I know you're dealing, you're living in the troubled times. I know you're dealing and you're working, you're toiling in the land of the Amorites, the land of the evil, but I'm with you every single day. Don't fear, obey my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came out and sat under the, sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So here's this man, Gideon. They're out of the tribe of Manasseh, the poorest tribe, the distant tribe. He's working and he's hiding in a wine press. He's, it's down in the ground. It's underground. This is a weird way to have to produce your food. He's, he's threshing wheat down there because he wants to hide it from the, Israel, from the Midianites coming to take it away. Sometimes in the life that we live and the way that we conduct ourselves, we got to go down in the cellar to kind of privately and secretly live our Christian life and, and, and read our word and get a hold of our food We're driven down into those places because of what we've built around us and the things that we've allowed to come around us. He did it in order to hide it from the Midianites and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and he said unto him, the Lord is with you and then he calls him, you mighty man of valor. Well, how does he know that? How is because Gideon is hiding in a wine press threshing wheat to save food for, for the people, is he a man of valor? Valor denotes courage and bravery. It's the word of a warrior. How in the world are you denoted as a man of valor? And I want to tell you it's because God looks into your heart. He looks into the positive future of what you can be, Elizabeth and Natalie, and he says to you, you're a woman of valor before you even know it yourself. He says, Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us and where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Immediately, Gideon goes flesh. Well, if there's a God, then why are we dealing with this? If there's a God, why does cancer exist in the world? If there's a God, why do children get kidnapped and killed? If there's a God, why does evil exist? We know the answer. We know the answer is because Israel's choices, not God's choices. Israel made a choice to turn away from what God had directed them to do. And dare I say, to turn away from the man that God had given them in Moses. I know you're going to preach with me now. Then the Lord turned to him and he said, go in the midst of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Be careful who you write off. Be careful who you decide 
is good enough to do God's work or not. Because God looked at one guy from the weakest of the tribes. He said, I'm the least in my father's house. Come on, folks, I'm not trying to make this too personal, but I'm breaking open something in my heart that God has laid on me in this process. Next week is a pivotal moment in the history of abundant life. We're going to take this place in a new direction. There's an explosion that's waiting to happen in the midst of this church with the people who stand with Gideon and stand with God and are ready to go and do his work. But you've got to understand, now is the time. Now is the time to declare all of that stuff is the past. Everything that is gone is gone, and we're moving forward according to what God has designed. Gideon was the man of Manasseh, the weak tribe, the nobodies, the weakest of the weak. It was consisted of Nephtali and Asher, nobodies. And he said, I'm the weakest in my father's house. Well, brother, you're looking at him right now. I'm nobody from nowhere. I've got no pedigree, I've got no name. My father didn't lead the Pentecostal church in the 1940s. My mother was not a great author and a Bible study teacher. God called the unqualified. The Bible says that Gideon went into a process where he prepared a young goat and unleavened bread and an ephah of flour. He was testing this angel. He just had to know. He's so weak in this process, so misunderstanding, so not sure of what's happening before him. Is this truly the, the angel of the Lord? And he prepares this test, so to speak. And, and he brings this meal out of goat and broth and all of this stuff. And he places it out there before the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says, okay, yeah, you want some proof? Poof. And fire came up from a rock and consumed that meal that he prepared. Is that enough for you, Gideon? Is that going to tell the story? Nope. So, the angel gives him an instruction. There's more testing that's coming. He gave, gives him the instruction. And he says, I want this Baal worship. I want this stuff done. I want this distraction taken out of the lives of the people of Israel, my people. See, Baal worship is when you turn and you put too much of yourself into the cares of this world. See, Baal is things of the world. There's a lot of different Baals, you know. There's Baal uh, this direction, there's Baal West Dallas, and there's Baal Dousman, and there's Baal Oconomowoc. You see, there's these little regional areas of Baal, and all it meant was that the people of those areas were just deciding that they were going to focus on life. They were going to focus on sustenance and what I want and my preferences in life and feed themselves. That's all Baal really was. Of course, we know what's behind Baal is the enemy. If I can get you distracted and focused on yourself and feeding everything that you want, well, then you become preferential. Then you start deciding, well, I want it done this way, and I want it done that way, and then selfishness prevails. You know the number one sign of selfishness? It's sneaky. It sneaks up on you. Most people don't detect it because it's blindness. And so Baal worship is abhorrent to God. And so the first thing he tells Gideon is, I want that Baal stuff out. Well, Gideon's own father, his own father, had an altar to Baal. And so Gideon was so concerned about angering his father, he goes at night with some of his friends, and they tear down the altar to Baal. And they tear down the wooden image there, and they make firewood out of it. Well, the people find out about this, and they're not too happy. 
says in scripture, but because he feared his father's household, the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. He was in fear of the reprisal and it was coming anyway. In Judges 6 and 28, the removal of the altar raises the controversy that gets people angry. The men of the city arose early in the morning. There was an altar of Baal torn down. The wooden image that was beside it was cut down. The second bull was being offered. He was doing an offering for this, which had been built. So God said, not only am I want you to tear this thing down, not only did I want to get you the Baal worship out of your life, not only am I trying to get you off of your selfish track of preference and doing it the way you want to do it, I want you to crush and destroy that altar. I want you to build another one in my name and you're going to sacrifice on it and you're going to pray on that altar and rededicate yourself I think that's a small price to pay for the deliverance that he provided them taking him out of Egypt the pathway to a certain hell So they said one to another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son, that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, now listen to what he said. Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who plead for him be put to death by mourning If he is a God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubal, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Literally gave Gideon the name Jerubal, which means contender with Baal. Folks, I want to have a title slapped on me. And I want you to know I wear it. It's sewn into the collar of everything that I own, that I am a contender with Baal on your behalf, on my behalf, on my family's behalf, and on behalf of the people that surround this church in every community, I am a contender of Baal. I'm going to continue to come against the destructive power and the the terrible things that come from sacrificing everything to this life and self. Thereafter, Gideon gets on the mission that God has asked him to do. Starts to form his army. Now, mostly the army is the people of Manasseh, Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali, gathered together with him. And this is where Gideon tries the Lord two more times. The fleeces, you're all familiar with that. I won't go too far detail into that, but he puts a fleece out. Now, you have to understand that in this, in this symbology that's here, the fleece represents Israel. And so he says, I want, you, I want to put this out, and if there's water on the fleece only and the rest of the dry ground is dry, then I know that, that this, is your, this is God and that Israel is favored. And of course, he puts it out there, and he wakes up in the morning, and he rings it out. And I want you to understand the, symbi- the symbolism of him wringing that fleece out and the water that comes out. This represents the separation of that Israel and Gentile thing that's about to come. It's a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. The next morning, he puts the fleece out one more time. He's got to test God one more time. He puts the fleece out and says, if it's dry on the fleece and wet everywhere else, then I know that it's God. See, because that wet, that dew, that wetness represents that power of Jesus that's coming. That water, that redemptive water. It's not just on Israel. The second day, it's everywhere. Do you understand? 
there was a message there. Of course, we know that God passes the test. People weren't happy. They liked it the way it was. Come on, somebody preach with me. They liked it the way it was. But nothing, nothing in this life ever stays the same. Change is the only constant and common factor, whether you like it or not. And people do fear change. They hate change in some cases. Certainly God understood that. But God tore down the altars of Baal anyway. Israel's army consists of approximately 32,000 men. God decides it's too many. In Judges chapter 7, God tells Gideon to tell his soldiers who are afraid to go home, get out of here. It says, then Jerubel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And listen closely. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their own hands. Why? Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people saying whoever is fearful and afraid let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of his people returned. Two-thirds of his army walked away because they were afraid. That's all. God didn't curse those people. He didn't punish those people. The people remaining behind didn't talk bad, at least not according to the word. But they were afraid. They weren't ready for what this Gideon was doing. They weren't ready for what God was calling this Gideon guy to do. They were simply afraid. They were human beings. I don't care how spiritual you are. You're still wrapped in flesh, and you're going to experience fear. But fear can make us do some things that aren't real pleasant and make us say things that maybe aren't right. Fear has a powerful effect on people. So do we hold that against those people? Do we, do we gossip about them? Do we thrash around about them? Do we, do we carry tales and criticize? Or do we pray for them? Do we love them? And we say, you know what, we understand. Unfortunately, fear took over some of, those, of that army. And they had to go. But see, God wanted it that way. For his glory. Gideon's got about 10,000 men left. It says God wanted the odds, uh, excuse me, I said God wanted the odds so bad that the victory would clearly be his alone. Do we believe Zechariah 4 and 6? It says not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Have we determined that we're the only thing that's gonna make this go and if we're not all here and everybody that was here before that this thing's gonna go down? Is that what we've determined? Or do we believe that by his might and by his power, his body will continue to move forward? Do we believe Psalm 20 and 7? Some trust in chariots and some in horses. 
but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. You see, God didn't want Gideon's people thinking they were all that in a bag of chips. He didn't want them taking credit for this great grand army that was going to go and defeat the Midianites. He didn't want them taking credit and saying, well, we've saved our own hand. We didn't actually need God in this situation. You know, that's what got them in the mess in the first place. That's Baal, you see. That's Baal worship. Come on, hang with me now. Now God gives him another, still too big, still too many people. How is that possible, Brother Cordell? How is it possible that God would want to shrink the host, that God would make the, want to make the group smaller? Why is that even a thing? Because it continues to be about making it about him. Now stay with me. Now he decides to give him a test in Judges 7 and 4. He goes in there, he says, everyone who laps from the water, now they're going to take the army, they're thirsty, they've been running around doing all their stuff, and you're going to take them down to the water. He says, everyone that laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Now, many of you probably know this already. You've probably heard it preached, but I'll recap for those that are just stepping in. When they sat down, they got down on the hands and knees. The ones that lapped like a dog put their face in the water, put their sword and their shield down and got down and their focus was on the water and feeding themselves. They put their sword and their shield down and their focus was on feeding themselves. You know what the 300 did? 1%. 1% was left. And you know what the 300 did? The 300 held their sword in their hand and cupped the water and they watched and they drank ready if the enemy were to attack. And God said, that's my army. That's my army. One percent of the army was remaining, but they were warriors because no warrior would put his shield down and put his armor down and put his sword down and stick his face down in the water and take his eyes off of what was surrounding him when there was a field of 132,000 Midianites standing out there somewhere. No warrior would do that. I bet you those people that got sent home were thinking, boy, I better get into warrior school. I better start learning how to do this right. Amen? Gideon goes down at the behest of God to spy on the camp. He's concerned about Gideon's fear. Remember, Gideon's not a warrior. Not in the true sense of a trained warrior for Israel. He was threshing wheat in a hole in the ground when God called him a man of valor. So he says, I'm going to send you into the camp. Now listen to this. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. 
Do you, do you understand the past tense aspect of that? Folks, do you understand that the people that could possibly be saved in the city of Oconomowoc, in the city of Delafield, in the city of Wales, in the city of Dowsman, the camp has already won. It's already been declared. You understand the ones that are going to come, the ones that God are going to draw. He's already delivered them into our hands. All we've got to do is get up and make the effort. We've got to do the thing that says, hey, you're welcome here. Hey, why don't you come on over to Abundant Life? Hey, we've got something we've got to offer you. You understand? He's already delivered into the hands of our camp, the people who desperately need him. He says, but if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in camp. How many people have said to themselves or have felt in themselves, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to talk to people about God. I'm afraid to go down into the city and do something fun or hand out tracts or, or be a part of a group here. I'm afraid. Why? Because people are going to mock me. People People are going to say foolish things. They're going to say, oh, you're a nutcase. You're one of those wacko Christians. You're one of those people that got your face stuck in the Bible all the time. Yes, I am. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I've got a testimony seven and a half miles long about what God's done for me. Come on, be ready to stand up and say, yes, I'm a crazy person for Jesus Christ. I'm a nutcase for what he's done because he saved me. When are we going to get a hold of that fact that that thing we're so worried about, that thing that we're ashamed of, is the thing that's going to save them? Are you going to ever understand it, that that testimony you hide inside you is going to be the thing that's going to bring them in? When are we going to learn? Check out the camp. Hear what they're saying. I've been out there. I've been out there and listened to people in their conversations. You'd be surprised. I was at a wedding reception yesterday for Chris and Alyssa. There was a young lady that was there. I forget who, who here was talking with me. She walks up. Sweet young lady. Dreadlocks all over the place. Kind of a hippie style. She's a very lovely young lady. Probably my daughter's age. Dreadlocks all over the place. Tattoos all in places you wouldn't think they'd normally be. A dress that probably really should have been more material to it. Kind of a hippie style type thing. Sweet. And she says, so, oh, you're the pastor that married them? You know Chris? You're the pa-. Yes, I am, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. You know, I've been actually kind of studying the Bible. Really? We had a 45-minute conversation on the book of Acts and the day of Pentecost. I've invited her to come. She works down in Wales. She works out in Oconomowoc once in a while. She's a massage therapist. Lovely young lady. Her name is Brooke. And I believe that she's going to come to church one of these days. How dare I judge her, first of all. And how dare I judge the testimony that I have inside me is going to be something that's going to cause a problem. I shared my testimony when I came up as a young man, when God called me to the ministry, where I came from in my background and the broken mess that it was. This poor young lady's seen way worse than I have. But sweet and tender and just wants to see God. She wants to know more. She sat and listened to this old doofus tell the history of the Pentecostal church. Judges chapter 7, verse 12, God is reassuring Gideon through the Midianites 
It's incredible. He's sitting there listening. Now, now I got to ask you guys this question. Okay, and I'm wrapping up here. I know we're getting a little long today. But next week it'll go short and there's food and it'll be fun and I'll make up for it. Sister Angela gets a break. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get some time made up next week, okay? But now imagine this. You're, you're in the camp of the enemy. And you're listening, overhearing this conversation. Now I don't know what you would do if somebody told you, you dreamed, they dreamed about a giant bran muffin rolling down the hill and knocking down your tent. But Gideon is listening to this conversation. And the one fellow says to the other fellow, I had a dream last night that a great cake of barley rolled down the hill and crashed into our tents and broke everything up. You understand that a cake of barley is the food of the poorest of the poor. A cake of barley is worthless. You understand that Gideon is the cake of barley. He's the bran muffin. You know something? You're the bran muffin. You're going to roll into the tents of the, 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 the encampment of the enemy. And you're going to break up those tents. You understand? It was the weakest of the weak. And he hears this story. And the man says to him, whoa, wait a minute. He says, now look in the scripture. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without numbers, the sand by the seashore, the multitude. Okay, there was a lot of them. I get it. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I had a dream to my surprise. A loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Now listen to this. He said, then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hand God has delivered Miniam and a whole camp. Based on one dream, two ignorant soldiers are standing there and he knew who Gideon was and he knew that God had already delivered him. I want to tell you folks, if you hadn't picked up on this yet, those people out there know the name of Jesus Christ and they know you bear it and they know that God has already delivered them. Do you understand? It's already done. If you just follow Gideon, if you just follow him, so he breaks the men into three groups. God gives him this. Now the Bible doesn't say God gives Gideon this plan. He just does it. Breaks them into three groups of 100 apiece. He's going to surround the camp. Come on. We got to surround the camps with light. Come on. He tells them. He gets them in there. He says, take a trumpet and take a pitcher. Didn't say take a sword. Take your weapons. Take a trumpet and a pitcher and put your light down inside of it. Right? Put your lamp in there. It was brilliant because they snuck down into the area and surrounded the camp of Midian. And what did they do at that exact moment? Just like the walls of Jericho. Boy, God does some cool stuff with trumpets, doesn't he? You understand when, when the trumpet blast is, that's, that's symbolism of the blasting of the word of God. The voice of God, right? He blasts the trumpet. Oh, all the guys wake up. Can you imagine it's the middle of the night? Oh, crash, go all of these things, all of these vases full of, of these, these, these torches in there. Boom, all of a sudden light is shining all over the place. And the Midianites freak out. They don't know what's going on. Because I want to tell you, they heard the voice of God and all of a sudden the light was shined on them. 
And they began to cut each other up and run all over the place and tear each other up. And out they go. The three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole array army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia towards Zerah as far as the border of Abel Moholah and Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. The early Christian writer Origen often emphasized elaborate spiritual meanings to these biblical accounts. In this story, he made the 300 men types of preachers of the gospel. Their trumpets were a picture of preaching Christ crucified. Their torchlights represented the holy conduct of the preachers. That's you. So Gideon tries to now include more in the fight. You know, just because they beat each other at Moran, it's not dead. Goliath wasn't dead just because he fell down with a stone in his head. David had to run up to him, pull his sword out, cut his head off. And Gideon, not a warrior, knew enough to know you chase the enemy down and you defeat the enemy. And he tried to get the people of Ephraim there. Now Ephraim, Ephraim, that was a better tribe. These were the these were the guys that, that they had the warriors and all this kind of stuff. And they said, hey, guys, come on. Let's, let's, let's get going. I need your help. So then Gideon sent messengers throughout the mountains of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and seize from the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and, and, and seized the watering places as far as Beth Barah and Jordan. And they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb in the rock of Oreb, and they, and they killed Zeb uh, at the winepress of Zeb, and they pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. So, hey, looks like they're on the game, right? Listen to Judges 8, starting at verse 1. The men of Ephraim said to him, why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? Now, I'm closing on this, and I need you to hear me. I need you to hear me. Don't just listen, hear me. Why have you done, done this by not calling us when you went to fight the Midianites? And they reprimanded him sharply. So he said to them, what have I done now in comparison to what you've done? He was honoring them. They were mad because he didn't get pulled into the fight and get to be part of the, the glory and the honor. And in and, 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 and his wisdom, Gideon says, well, hey, wait a minute. What I did is nothing in comparison to what you guys have done. Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizar? In other words, what you guys are doing, creating this empire and feeding everybody and all this wealth? He says, God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. You see, immediately, there was like, wait, wait a minute. How come I wasn't involved in all of the planning and the attack on this thing? Why was there only 300? Because God told him there's only going to be that 300. That's why. Because of the glory had to go to Jesus Christ. Not everybody that wanted to get involved when they wanted to. Gideon started the work with a small number that God directed and asked for others to join the work. Why weren't we included? They were jealous of Gideon's success or something. 
You can stand with me this morning. I appreciate your patience. I'll make it up to you next week. By the way, if you want to be involved in the drawings, you better be here at 10 because that's when the ushers are handing the tickets out. Trust me. Anybody comes up and goes, oh, come on, I didn't get a ticket. Be here at 10 a.m. You changed the service hours. Yes, I did. When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted, but still in pursuit of the Midianites. Then he said to the men of Sukkoth, they were his men, people, their people, please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing Zeba and Zelmunna, kings of Midian. Now the princes are gone, they killed them. Now they're after the kings, the heads. And the leaders of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand that we should give bread to your army? You're asking for help before you get the mission done? Is that what you're saying? Come on, preach with me. So Gideon said, For this cause, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, and he will, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Ouch. Then he went up from there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered. So he also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come back in peace, I will tear down this tower. They won't fight with him. They won't support him until he wins. Oh, when you've had your success, when you've done the things you said you were going to accomplish... When you've done everything that you've proposed to do and it's all done and you have success, well then guess what? We'll join. But until then, we're not going to give you bread. We're not going to give your people bread. We'll just sit in the bleachers and we'll watch. Hmm. That battle's not going real well. Wow. I thought that project was going to get done sooner. Hmm. Babe Ruth once said, loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. But I'm happy to say that right now, we've got an awesome army of 300 right here, right now. It's actually more like a hundred, but you know, do the math. Right here, you're here, you're now. Pastor that I love very much in his preaching, beyond Brother Kylie, Brother Mike Williams in Florida once said, a blood clot the size of an English pea could take me out tomorrow. And God's work will still go on. You see, because I'm looking at a room full of Gideons. I'm looking at a room full of warriors who stand with their shield and their sword. Looking. I get those phone calls and those text messages and those cards. Pastor, we're with you. Pastor, we're supporting you. Pastor, we're praying for you. 
I get those words of support. And I get those words because you know what? The enemy, whether you want to agree with it or not, just like that guy in the camp, fears Russ Cordell. Am I talking proud? No, 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 no. Because great men and women of God brought me up to be a man of prayer and a man of love and kindness. And that enemy fears men like Rick Kiley, Kyle Cordell, Chad Gerbing, Dennis Matucci, Dave Zelensky. He fears the women too. Sister Jan, you bet. Fears her a little bit more. I've seen her pray. You understand what I'm saying? Whether you see it here or not, in me or you or Brother Kylie, God has raised up a warrior and the enemy is over in the camp going, oh, oh, I hope he doesn't come this way. I hope he doesn't come over to Dousman. That's my stronghold. I got a lot of people under suppression down there. I got a lot of people that I'm forcing. They're on their way to hell. As soon as they die, they're gone. I hope that Cordell and that Kylie and that Cordell and that Chad and that Brown and that, and, and that Dave and that Dennis and, and, and all of these ladies who are getting together and praying on that Saturday night, uh, Saturday morning prayer time and these people that get together on Monday night pray alongside me and with the Browns on Friday night. I hope those people don't get together and come down into my camp. I don't want to see that brand muffin rolling in my direction. I'm here to tell you today that the enemy fears me because I pray, because I get into the word of God, and because I listen to the vision and the voice when God says, do crazy things like put pictures and lights together and do all these nutty things like connect groups and life groups and change the service times just a little bit to accommodate some things that I see coming down the road a little bit. See, I listen to the vision of God. Not because I'm great, not because I'm anything but because I was taught to take my eyes off of this, off of mankind, and put my eyes on him and serve and lower my head and say, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I'm going to do it. The choice is simply yours. Do you want to be a part of the brave 300? Do you want to be victorious in the camp of the Midianites? There's your choice. This altar is open this morning. Please forgive me if I've hurt or offended anybody. And what I've said today, it was not my intention. I promise you through the anointing of God, I have poured out of my heart what he gave me to say. This is what this body needed to hear today. In Jesus' name, this altar is open. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.